turn in your Bible, please, for the reading of the scripture this morning. Again, in Judges chapter 8, this time only verse 30 through 35. Judges 8, verse 30 through 35. And Gideon had three score and ten sons out of his body begotten. And if you have a good old King James Bible, a very good and accurate translation is provided in the margin at the note which says, of his body begotten, literally translates going out of his thighs. Gideon had three score and ten sons going out of his thighs. For he had many wives. And his concubine that was in Shechem, she also bare him a son whose name he called Abimelech. And Gideon the son of Joash died in a good old age and was buried in the sepulcher of Joash, his father in Oprah, in Abi Ezrites. And it came to pass as soon as Gideon was dead, the children of Israel turned again and went a whoring after Balaam and made Baal Pireth their God. And the children of Israel remembered not the Lord their God who had delivered them out of the hands of all their enemies on every side. Neither showed they kindness to the house of Jerubbaal, namely Gideon, according to all the goodness which he had showed unto Israel. Turn with me please again in your hymnal and stand with me and sing together number 467. Oh, thou that hearst when sinners cry, though all my crimes before thee lie, behold them not with angry look, but blot their memory from thy book. Create my nature pure within, and for my soul averse to sin, let thy good spirit never depart, nor hide thy presence from my heart. 
I cannot live without thy light. Cast out and banish from thy sight. Thy holy joys, my God, restore and guard me that I follow more. Though I have grieved thy spirit, Lord, his help and comfort still afford, and let a wretch come near thy throne to plead the buried song thy son. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. Blemished. Not a word that I took out of the scripture specifically. It's a word that in the study of this portion of scripture, Richard Rogers used frequently to describe Gideon. Blemished. It was only two messages ago that I introduced you to this portion of our scripture. These final eight verses of chapter eight in the book of Judges. And in those messages, I promised to open its contents, if you'll recall, I suggested that I would open the contents and pursue my exposition under just two headings. From verses 28 and 29, I suggested to you that I would open to our hearts the marvelous magnitude of righteous fruit that can be found in just one man's godly influence. Or I summarize that full point in the simple words, what a long shadow a man may cast for righteousness. And we talked a great deal about that shadow. And I concluded by asking you to examine your own heart and answer the simple question, how long is your shadow? But then secondly, I propose from the very beginning, from verses 30 through 35, which I hope to take up beginning today, I proposed to consider the multitude of the malignity. The multitude of the malignity that can be found in just one man's error 
perpetuated throughout just one generation. Or if you prefer the malignity that can be found in just one man's blemishes. To use Roger's word. Our journey all the way from chapter 6 has been an almost uninterrupted joyful journey of hallowed scenes and sacred victories. Gideon and all of Israel have witnessed the power of God and the blessed presence of Jehovah in miracles and deliverances, triumphs and mercies, peace, and in the words of verse 28, quietness. Now for 40 years, Israel has enjoyed quietness. When we arrive at last here at verse 30, we feel almost a sharp pain and are inclined to draw back as the record suddenly takes a turn and the sky grows black and the heart tends to grow sick when we read these words in verse 32 and Gideon the son of Joash died in a good old age and was buried in the sepulcher of Joash his father black skies have gathered surely but we learn that the greatest pain of all the tragedy that spoils these scenes did not begin in verse 32. Hold on. The melancholy drama that's here played out begins to unfold long before that, long before the death of Gideon. When verse 30 and 31 tell us this, Gideon had three score and ten sons of his body begotten, for he had many wives. And his concubine, his concubine that was in Shechem, she also bare him a son whose name is called Abimelech. I don't have it in my notes, but I will share with you just this word concerning this man's name. There's a great deal of controversy. Much has been written about interpreting that name. Just interpreting that name. There are multiple variations of interpretation. But I personally conclude with some of the best that it simply translates my father the king. And I'll have much more to say about that at another time. But the troubles that plague Israel and the dark black clouds that I described, the dark black sky that is 
hanging forebodingly over Israel's history at this point <coughs> did not begin just with the death of Gideon. But long before when we find out, he had many wives and concubines. I showed you in a message some weeks ago the profound and unedited honesty with which God's inspired word reports even the most hideous flaws of his most cherished servants. So now, here on open display is Gideon's colossal failure described in only four simple words. He had many wives. I just a moment ago said that these chapters were an almost uninterrupted joy. And they were. But we've seen already in verse 27 that he has already erred grievously. Some possibly 40 years earlier in the matter of making an ephod. You remember that message and you remember that lesson. That ephod was the singular right of only one man. Not just the singular right of the priesthood, but of only one priest in the priesthood. And he took upon himself to make for himself an ephod. <coughs> the first blemish, great blemish is exposed in the life of Gideon in the making of this ephod. And I suggest to your mind that here in the making of that ephod, here was the corruption of God's worship. And could I just say to you not to retrace my steps in that message. But this is a canker that rots away the power of God in any generation. This is a canker that rots away the power of God in any generation when there is the corrupting of his worship. And certainly our day, our day is rife with this disease. Leviticus chapter 10 and verse 1, the scripture said, And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there's been a lot written and a lot of controversy about what was it about this fire that made it strange? Why was it strange fire? The answer is right there in the text. You don't need to know any further details. I don't need to know any more specifics than this. It was fire God didn't command. That's strange fire. And there went out fire, verse 2, from the Lord and devoured them. They died before the Lord. And then Moses said unto Aaron, This is that the Lord spake, saying, I'll be sanctified in them that come nigh me. And before all the people, I'll be glorified. And Aaron wisely held 
his peace. God will not have it. God will not have it. We're in a generation, and all of you know it as well as I do, and I'm preaching to the choir this morning. We're in a generation that everything under the sun has become called worship. It is not to be so. It is not to be so. Gideon erred. Gideon was blemished in this thing, this matter of the ephod. Here was the corruption of God's worship. But now, but now in verse 29 and 30 of our chapter 8, we see his other fatal error, his other grave blemish. It was his error in the matter of family. Great error in the matter of family. As the error in the matter of ephod was the corruption of God's worship, so his error in the matter of the family was the castigation of God's wisdom. Castigation of God's wisdom, as we shall see further later. Here, and further on into the chapter 9, is a record a dark and doleful record, rancid with corruption and putrid with the foul fumes of hell's kitchen, all vomiting out from the stomach of this one disease, the desecration of God's order in the family. As much as it pains me to do so, I cannot be honest with this text without bringing us face to face with this cancerous malady in this otherwise glorious life of our hero Gideon. Almost any other doctrine, this has been my struggle now for some weeks that I mentioned earlier in the prayer meeting. Almost any other doctrine, almost any other text, almost any other subject would better suit my preferences and inclinations as a preacher. But such is the duty of expositional preaching that one takes the scriptures as they lay and shuns none of God's holy writ. And so we begin... Different men's weaknesses are cataloged in many volumes. One man may fall prey to pride. That damning sin which God is said to hate in Proverbs chapter 6. Clearly our hero in this subject, Gideon, has demonstrated his strength against that particular weakness. Pride seemed to have no place, find no footing in the constitution of his soul. Some may find themselves overcome repeatedly with the green-eyed monster of greed. 
another sin which our God has said repeatedly to despise. And again I say, Gideon has more than demonstrated his power over that sin. Great were the opportunities for him to be swallowed up with greed and take possession, but he did not. He refused it. None of these things touched him. On and on I could go describing men's weaknesses and some of all of it affects every one of us, but then some of us are more prone to one than to another. We all have that sin that does so easily beset us and our, our hero here, Gideon, stands head and shoulders above them all until we come here, here, here in four short words. Gideon's fatal flaw, his Achilles heel, is laid out in bold daylight by divine inspiration in four simple words. He had many wives. And not just multiplied wives, as if that were not terrible enough, but concubines as well. Not just women, not just vile women, but women of the vilest sort. Seemed to be a plague from which he had no deliverance. Oh, worldly women. My goodness. How many are the men who've been made shipwrecked by the wiles of a loose woman? I know this is not popular preaching today. We are living in a day of loose living. Loose living in general. And even looser morals. Pornography is the God of the day and promiscuity is rife in all our culture. But God's plan for holiness has never changed. <coughs> Oh, I would not fail before we look at that, before we would baptize ourselves in this filth. I would not fail to note this morning what a glorious jewel in the crown of any man's life is the diamond of a virtuous woman. Hallelujah. I just like the sound of that. Could I just say that again? What a glorious jewel is the crown in any man's life of the diamond of a virtuous woman. A Proverbs 31 woman. There's been a many a man down through the ages that have walked straight in the paths of righteousness, who without her would have gone off to bypass men? 
There's been a many a man who has enjoyed great light who without her would have traveled in darkness all his days. There's been a many a man who has enjoyed the fruits of his hard labors in his own day and passed them on down to his children who without her thrift and industry would have died a pauper in disgrace. There's been a many a man who has ended his days in honor and in station who without her would have perished in shame and disgrace. There's been a many a man who has exercised restraint in his passions and even mercy who without her would have been intolerant and even cruel. But having said all of that, I must equally proclaim this morning that tracing all the way back to that scene in the Garden of Eden, no danger is more lethal to pull a man down off of his throne of reason than the wiles of a wanton woman. There is no pool of humanity's waters that are more foul. None whose fountains vomit out worse poisons. None whose destructions are more rancid than that of a woman with a black and putrid heart whose soul is aflame with the fires of hell and godless self-promotion. As we shall yet see in this text. This. This. I sorrow to report to you. Is the net. Into which Gideon. Foolishly. Cast himself. Repeatedly. He. Had. Many. Wives. Oh, many years ago, <laughs> many, many years ago, almost foggy to my memory, as a young upstart of a preacher, I preached a message which dear Mrs. Gormley has reminded me of a few times in recent years. I preached a message from Isaiah chapter 2 verse 16 through 23, entitled, Junkyard Women. <laughs> and I titled the message that because of the description of these vile creatures in that text in Isaiah chapter 2. He talks about their mufflers and their round tires and their bonnets and their ornaments and all these things which as a southern boy I acquainted with things that were familiar to me in the junkyards across the south and I brought a message on junkyard women 
I don't regret the sermon. I don't regret the subject. I do regret the youthful carelessness with which I handled it. But I don't regret the subject. It was there that that prophet talked about these women. Verse 16 of chapter 3 in the book of Isaiah. Sorry, I said earlier chapter 2. It's chapter 3 in Isaiah. He talks of them. He said, Moreover, the Lord said, Because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with stretched forth necks and wanton eyes, walking and mincing as they go and making tinkling with their feet. Therefore the Lord will smite with a scab the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion and the Lord will be discovered, will discover their secret parts. In that day the Lord will take away the bravery of their tinkling ornaments about their feet and their coals and their round tires like the moon and the chains and the bracelets and the mufflers and the bonnets and the ornaments and the legs and the headbands and the tablets and the earrings and the rings and nose jewels and changeable suits of apparel and the mantles of the wimples and the crisping pins and the glasses and the fine linen and the hoods and the veils. God will take it all away, he said. Oh, wanton. The word is used there. Wanton. It's a Hebrew word that means to be poised. Very intentionally and designedly poised into a position. Their intent, of course, is to bring down a man. Oh, this was surely a problem in the life of our hero this morning as it was in the life of many a man in this sacred record. Poor David, was not this one of his great sorrows? David. Solomon, yes, Solomon, that wisest of all men ever. Solomon suffered in this same vein. While it was that singular error in the matter of worship, with the ephod that paved the way for the full-scale idolatry of an entire nation. It was this sin which threw the whole nation into the convulsions of civil disobedience for years to come, and it begins to unfold just in the next chapter. Civil disobedience, disorder, disaster. This sin. Oh, could I say to you in reference to my point and my outline, such was the magnitude of the malignity of this sin that I cannot defer my responsibility as your pastor to pause here and entertain this doctrine more fully. May I just remind our hearts that notwithstanding the boisterous clamor 
of this godless age and notwithstanding the clamor of this relativistic age, notwithstanding the sophistry of some exalted theological teachers, and I could name them if I would, notwithstanding the spineless plastic of modern compromising pulpits, God's order has never changed. One man for one woman for life. Genesis, you know it well, chapter 2 and verse 21. The Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was made out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. (laughs) Gideon knew this. Gideon knew this. He had no excuse. God had warned Israel and would time and time again warn them again. Best found in the words of First Kings chapter 1, <clears throat> chapter 11. <clears throat> but King Solomon loved many strange women. Together with the daughter of Pharaoh. Of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel. Go back to Exodus 34 verse 16. You'll find it there. Ye shall not go into them. Neither shall they come into you. For surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, 300 concubines. His wife turned away his heart. And it came to pass when Solomon was old that these wives turned away his heart after their gods and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as was the heart of his father David, of David his father. And Solomon went after these strange gods and did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord as did David his father. Then did Solomon build high places for these pagan gods and likewise did he for all his strange wives which burned incense and sacrificed unto their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel which had appeared unto him twice. And he commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done unto thee of thee and thou hast 
not kept my commandment, my statutes which I've commanded thee, I'll surely rend thy kingdom from thee and give it to thy servant. Surely verse 10 can be read of Gideon. He commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. But he kept not. That was the Lord had commanded. I'm telling you, Gideon was without excuse. He knew God's order. He'd been warned. It wasn't a passing tryst. That's a good old English word, tryst. It's spelled with a Y, by the way. T-R-Y is T. It wasn't a passing tryst. It was a pattern of life. He was without excuse. May I say to you this morning, whatever about Gideon's day, whatever about David's day, whatever about Solomon's day, we are without excuse. Even before God would close out the final page of his revelation in the Old Testament, even before God would close his revelation in the Old Testament, he brings it up again and warns again. Malachi chapter 2 and verse 11, Judah hath dealt treacherously, and an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord, which he loved, and hath made the daughter of a strange God. And the Lord will cut off the man that doeth this. The Lord will cut off the man that doeth this. The master and the scholar. Out of the tabernacles of Jacob. And him that offereth an offering unto the Lord of hosts. And this have ye done. Again. Covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, with crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering any more, or receiveth it with goodwill at your hand. And ye say, Wherefore? Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. And God will not put that aside. Whatever men may do, God will not put it aside. Oh, but I can hear it already. Oh, I can hear it already in my ears. Some carnal voice calls out to me. Oh, yes, my brother. But what about our Lord's exception? In Matthew chapter 19. What about our Lord's exception? I don't have the time this morning. But great multitudes followed him there. And the Pharisees took that opportunity to come to him, tempting him and saying, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Now notice his answer. His answer to the question 
of divorce. There's more dialogue here, but there's only one answer to the question. Have you not read? (laughs) What a slap right in the face. Have you not read? What more does he need to say? Have you not read? Genesis chapter 2. Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and they twain shall be one flesh. Now you can't cut one flesh in half without killing That's just plain country good sense there. There, wherefore, they are no more twain, but one. One flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. Well, they say, well, get to the exception here, brother. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Whose exception? Whose exception? God's? Not what the Lord said. Moses, because of verse 8, of the hardness of your heart, they said to him, what about Moses? He commanded to write a bill of divorcement and put her away. And he said, Moses, 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 because of the hardness of your heart, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. <laughs> The argument here is too plain. And no need to engage sophistry to confuse the matter. The answer is simple and plain. Have you not read? (laughs) I say it again. Nothing but cunning and sophistry seeks a way to subvert God's repeated orders in this matter. The holy sanctity of God's established order is not made void by man's weakness tangled in the deceitful web of his own deliberate carnal appetites. Now that was a mouthful, so I'm going to give it to you again. The holy sanctity of God's established order, or you could use the word law right there if you wanted to, is not made void by man's weakness tangled in the deceitful web of his own deliberate carnal appetites. Gideon had many wives. Poor Gideon. Poor Gideon. What volumes are spoken to us and what dark forebodings are wrapped up in these four words preserved by divine inspiration. He had many wives. 
lives. And by the way, verse 33, score and ten sons begotten of his own body. And for what? For what? For slaughter. We get to chapter 9 and verse 5. For slaughter. Oh, the tragedy that sin will bring when God's law is rejected and man's flesh is exalted. Seventy noble, healthy sons crushed in a moment by the fruit of one man's blemish. Oh, what malignity is recorded here. What malignity is recorded here. Gideon had many wives. Seventy noble born. Noble born. Healthy sons, born from his own loins, set for slaughter. Because Gideon's blemish. Oh, he corrupted the worship. Corrupted his worship. He castigated his law. Castigated his law. Set it aside. Said that's not going to be any good for me. I'm going to have these wives. What malignity was recorded because of that? Well, in the messages ahead, we shall see. Turn with me in your hymn book and stand with me if you will, please. Standing to sing number 468, a broken heart. Oh my God, my King is all the sacrifice I bring. The God of grace will ne'er despise a broken heart for sacrifice. Stand with me and sing. A broken heart, my God, my King, is all the sacrifice I bring. The God of grace will ne'er despise a broken heart of sacrifice. My soul is humble in the dust and owns thy dreadful sentence just. Look down, O Lord, with pitying eye and save the soul condemned to die. Then will I teach 
the world thy ways. Sinners shall learn thy sovereign grace. I'll lead them to my Savior's blood, and they shall praise a pardoning God. Oh, may thy love inspire my tongue. Salvation shall be all my song. And all my parts shall join to bless the Lord my strength and righteousness. <sighs>